came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. With us this morning is Roger Stone. What's the truth about January 6th? Alphonse D'Amato. Uh, what's going on in our country? Steve Cates, what's going up on the skies? Dr. Peter Michalos, how do we live longer? Dick Morris, what's going on in Washington? And let's start off with Lou Dobbs on what's going to happen with the economy in 2024. What is today is Lou Dobbs, one of our country's top financial and world advisors. Uh, and uh, Lou Dobbs, give us your vision of where the heck is our country going? There's so many people concerned. There's so many opinions out there. But people do respect your opinion. Well, I think, first of all, that uh, we have a, a it's going to be quite an interesting uh, year ahead of us. It's going to be uh, tumultuous. I don't think there's any doubt about that, both politically. And I think it could be as well economically, depending primarily on what happens geopolitically. And by that, I mean, obviously, Hamas, uh, Israel war. This is a, a war that is likely to expand, more likely to expand than uh, resolve itself, because it hasn't been able to resolve uh, over the course of uh, time since uh, 1948. I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we do have the potential, though, for some balance in the economy, and that is if the Federal Reserve manages to hold firm with the concept that they're not there to lead the markets, they're there to follow them. I think that we'll see Jerome Powell perform far better as chairman if he adopts a more modest, perhaps even a humble uh, position when it comes to managing the economy because he simply can't. All that is available to them is mismanagement uh, if they decide that they're going to lead these markets. Right now, they are uh, being they're <laughs> exercising forbearance, John, and that is really important. Politically, uh, we are stuck in a situation the likes of which none of us could ever have imagined. A president uh, who is impaired, who is compromised, uh, who is, uh, frankly, a puppet of the Marxist dem, the extreme left uh, of the Democrat Party. Almost anything could happen. Uh, and we have a president who, in leaving 2,000 miles of border wide open, has transferred the control of the southern border with Mexico to the Mexican drug cartels. And we continue to have uh, hundreds of thousands of people dying from fentanyl, opiates of all sorts, methamphetamines, uh, heroin, cocaine, uh, and marijuana as well. Those are the major exports across that that border right now. The entire country is at risk because we are not enforcing our laws. Uh, we have become a lawless uh, nation, at least in our largest Democrat-run cities, uh, nearly all of them. Uh, the crime crime rate is soaring in all of those uh, cities, uh, and, and the nation is at risk. And no one wants to talk openly and honestly about it, not even the Republican Party, for crying out loud. 
uh, which has to be the countervailing influence against what has been a disastrous Democratic Party uh, administration, uh, the worst, I think, in the country's history. Uh, So what I'm seeing is is the possibility of resolution within the United States, again, uh, with the caveat that somehow uh, we can see the Hamas-Iran-Israel war resolve itself. I'm not hopeful. uh, I'm not optimistic. But the possibility is there. But it is a possibility based on improbable happenstance rather than a strategy on the part of this administration, which seems incapable of creating them. Uh, I think that the uh, the election of Javier Malay in Argentina is one of the most optimistic signs that we've had in the hemisphere for some time. If we can see more of that trajectory uh, built and see other nation states across the uh, hemisphere uh, follow suit, Again, it will be a very hopeful sign, but it's one that has been uh, reticent to show itself for the last decade. So overall, I think this year is going to be one in which we, I think if we're we're in sports terms, it's going to be a nail-biter without any question. Uh, Lou Dobbs, uh, the big question mark is the Democrats have done a very fine job managing uh, people as far as managing uh, voters. Promising, promising, promising. And 2024 is an election year. Mm -hmm. The big item is going to be the whole economy and is what is the price of oil going to be in 2024? And what is the interest rates going to be in 2024? And I think uh, because it's an election year, it's a curveball and anything could happen. What say you? Well, I couldn't agree with you more and is likely to happen. Recently, filling up our car in uh, South Carolina, we were uh, we were charged by Exxon, an Exxon station, six dollars a gallon uh, for premium, while other stations. I I mean, we're seeing all sorts of price variation that's not based on supply. It's not based on markets. It's a debate. It's based on opportunity for profit, uh, and I don't begrudge anyone that, but it's uh, remarkable that we're seeing that in the, one of the most important retail segments imaginable, and that's uh, energy and retail energy. Uh, the, we're watching the market back off, and in part, I think, because OPEC has once again uh, overestimated its power as a, uh, as a cartel. It is really a fractionalized uh, cartel, and the powers are, are, are not right now, at least, uh, in line with the, with the markets. I think they've overstated their play uh, and their possibilities. And uh, with, for example, if anyone thinks about the possibility of Donald Trump becoming president, you, you know full well that we'll be an, in, an energy independent nation once again within a, probably, I'm going to say, something like a year to a year and a half after he takes office. Yeah. Well, we'll be back down to 50, $50 a barrel, my, my estimate. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, and I, well, a lot of people listening to us who think that's impossible, they forget what he made possible uh, when he was elected in 2016. He has a record. It isn't a record of, of hypotheticals and abstractions. He has a concrete record of managing the economy and doing great things. Small businessmen and women in this country are begging for him to come back to office. 
the and, and working men and women, the middle class, are begging for him to come back because they once again will have a living wage. He was, for the first time in over 30 years, restored wage increases to the middle class in this country. These are not fictions as factions uh, from you know fictions from factions. These are, in point of fact, concrete uh, elements of his record as president of the United States. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't even uh, do better than he did uh, in his first term. Well, Lou Dobbs, thank you for your vision and thank you for your comments. And you're going to be on a Sunday afternoon at WABCradio.com. What time do you start again? Three o'clock Eastern time. Thank you so much, Lou Dobbs. Thank you, John, so much. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Roger Stone an American conservative, a political consultant. Roger Stone, so many stories have come out on January 6th. So many stories have come out, people swearing they're telling the truth. I don't think we heard the whole truth and nothing but the truth yet. I just want to know what, how you understand the facts of all the new evidence that's out. Roger? Well, first of all, John, thanks for having me. I'm very impressed with Speaker Johnson's decision. Imagine that a politician actually doing what he promises the people he's going to do and releasing the footage from the various government cameras that were rolling on January 6th. Now, we've just seen a small subset so far of the massive amount of information that is available, but just based on what we have seen, uh, it appears to me to be conclusive evidence that the government really not only encouraged those who broke into the Capitol illegally, but stood by and watched it happen, in some cases facilitated it happening. And the real question now, just based on what we've seen so far, is whether the speaker will now appoint a select committee to study what was done by the unselect committee earlier uh, to try to determine whether there was not only the cover-up, but the advocacy of a totally false narrative. I think that would be appropriate. The last investigation consisted of members of the committee, all of whom were committed political opponents and enemies of Donald Trump. I'd like to see a balanced inquiry of Republicans and Democrats to look at all of this new evidence. I I remember early in the process that I saw many a video that ended up disappearing that I didn't see again of the Capitol Police opening up the doors and and allowing the people to walk in. You know, I was very uncomfortable with with the fact that uh, President Trump did say to Nancy Pelosi, uh, you're welcome to have 10,000 troops or, or, or National Guard to protect the Capitol. And she turned it down. I mean, there's something more to the story than we know. And the other question I had is how many federal agents were incorporated or any, I I shouldn't say federal, it could be any kind of agents incorporated within that crowd. Well, as you know, the FBI director has uh, repeatedly refused to answer that question under oath before the Congress. The head of the Department of Homeland Security has declined to answer that question. President Trump has suggested that the number is so great they're unsure. I think he's actually right. You're right. I saw that same video, the 2,000-pound the doors 
to the Capitol, which can only be opened remotely from the inside. Somebody opened them. Who, who was that person? I'm also particularly disturbed by the murder of Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed military veteran who was menacing no one, who was threatening no one, but who was specifically shot and killed in cold blood without any warning. Uh, and the officer who did that, Michael Byrd, I believe is his name, not only faced, did not face charges, he actually got a promotion out of that. I'm equally disturbed by the murder of a woman named Roseanne Boyland. Her official autopsy shows that she died of a drug overdose from Adderall. But in fact, we can now see video. She was bludgeoned to death by a metropolitan police officer. Once again, she was unarmed. Nobody who entered the Capitol was armed. Nobody other than the law enforcement officers, of course. So you're right, John. We have not seen the truth. I don't think this is going to go away. It's really uh, up to Speaker Johnson now to take the next step. I mean, uh, before this, what we saw was rhetoric. I have huge respect for Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson was the first person to get these videos. But before he could utilize many of them, he was uh, terminated from his position with Fox News. So he never really got to finish the story, although what he did show us was shocking. Like you, I'd like to know a lot more. Is more evidence coming out? Yeah, I think we've only seen the first tranche uh, of these videos. So now anyone can go uh, with their lawyer or by themselves to the House Oversight Committee to see and get copies of specific videos. This is particularly helpful for the attorneys who are, you know, representing a number of those charged with crimes on January 6th, because heretofore the government has stonewalled their requests for what should be and could be exculpatory or at least significant evidence in those cases. I think this process is going to take a while. I would still prefer that all of the information be put online, open source, so that any American citizen can walk through it, can go through it to find specific videos. But what we've seen so far already is shocking and I think underlies the claim that this was a Fed surrection, that this was a planned political uh, maneuver by Nancy Pelosi. We've seen the actual documents in which uh, President Trump offered 10,000 National Guardsmen to the mayor into the uh, into Speaker Pelosi and copied the non-voting delegate from D.C. So the narrative that, no, that never happened, no, that actually did happen. Cash Patel, who was on my show, spoke about it extensively and provided all the receipts. Roger Stone, uh, you're going to be on this Sunday afternoon between 4 and 6. What are you going to be talking about? Uh, we're going to focus on the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy and all of the news that has come out just in the last 90 days, which give much, much greater credence to the claim that, well, Lee Harvey Oswald did not kill John F. Kennedy and there was a conspiracy. Uh, he didn't act alone. And I'm going to be taking phone calls on that and anything else the audience wants to talk about. Roger Stone, I'll be listening to you. Thank you so much, uh, Roger Stone. Look forward to it, John. Many thanks. 
With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. With us today is uh, one of New York's greatest senators. We have Alphonse D'Amato. He served our country well. He served our city and state well. Give us your thoughts on, on the problems of the world, and there's so many problems. I don't even know where to begin. Well, uh, let me say, in my opinion, problem number one, is Sleepy Joe, our president. And and I had a great relationship with Joe, but he has changed dramatically. He went from a moderate Democrat to an ultra-liberal, and he has no idea what he is doing to this country. The first thing and the worst thing is this open borders. Look what it's doing to our cities. Wake up, Joe. You're destroying cities from California to Chicago to New York. You have New York in a crisis economically. It is dangerous. You have people who are coming into this country, some who are known terrorists. They're being released and told, well, you report to the court on such and such a time. This is ridiculous. You have drugs pouring over the border, fentanyl, killing people. Why? Why, Joe? I mean, yes, we are a country of immigrants, but the immigrants that come into this country used to come in. They had to have someone sponsor them. They were checked out to see that they were legitimate, etc. You just have people pouring in here, criminals pouring in here. It, this is unconscionable. And you should not be representing this country. And let me tell you something. If the people vote to reelect you, then they deserve what is taking place to this country. The destruction of our cities first and foremost, and it's spreading all over. Just wake up, America. And let me tell you this. Even the egomaniac who did a good job as president, but his ego got in the way, when he couldn't admit that he blew the election, would be better than Sleepy Joe. This is absolutely unsustainable. Senator D'Amato. I don't know why the Americans and the Democratic Party should wake up, too. We don't need Sleepy Joe. And I'll tell you what I think is going to take place, John. Tell me. I think that Biden will capture the delegates, have them, and at the last minute, when he controls them, he will step out. And don't be surprised if the former president's wife, Michelle Obama, becomes the nominee. And remember this, Iran has gotten billions of dollars because of Obama, who had his special envoy to Iran quietly move the sanctions aside. When Trump came in, he imported 
he, he put the sanctions back in. Guess what? When Sleepy Joe got in, the same envoy come on, and over $50 billion of money that would have been cut off from Iran went to Iran. Now, who do you think is sponsoring the terrorist Hamas over in the Middle East against Israel? You tell me, John. Well, Iran, who we're giving the money to uh, because yeah. of allowing them to produce three and a half million barrels a day of yeah. oil, they're making two billion dollars a week, a week. Okay. Uh, versus when Trump, when Trump was president, here, but they it's made okay for Iran yes. to do it to make money and to sponsor Hamas, the attacks on Israel, the attacks against the U.S. And what do we do now? Let me tell you. In my opinion, unless we knock out Iran's nuclear facilities and send a message, all right, the ones that they're working on, that we're not going to stand by idly, we are in big trouble. Senator, I'll tell you. I, I let you talk about it because you are most qualified to talk about it because you are President Biden's contemporary. You're similar ages. You grew up together just about in Washington, and everybody and everything you said is correct. Americans are in shock. We're allowing this to happen to our country. And let me tell you, why do you have open borders? What the hell is wrong with his thinking? Where is he? What what's going on? Does he want to subvert the country? I mean, has he been captured by the left wing to the point that? Any reasonable person would say, hey, we got to stop this. Yeah, let's take a million people, a million and a half a year who are qualified, who we see aren't criminals, who, who we, we, we see are people who are just looking for an opportunity. That was what America is about. That's why my grandparents came to this country and your grandparents came to this country, because we offered opportunity. But. To just let anybody come in, crooks, criminals, etc. This is this is absolutely doesn't make sense. And by the way, the people who try to come in legitimately, I just had a, a woman who worked for me some years ago come to me because her daughter, who lives in South America, applied the right way to come in, and they said, "Well, who's going to sponsor her?" And they, they said, "Well, the sponsors don't make enough money." So I agreed to join in this process. So the people who want to come in legitimately, they give a tough time to, all right, who have yeah. sponsors, who, who don't present a threat to this country. I'm just doing this right now. I'm going through this process to help this woman who, who wants to bring her daughter into this, this country. And, and yet people who just flood over, who don't have anybody, who have no resources, nothing, criminals, all right, they, they let them in. I mean, wake up, Joe. What the hell are you doing to this country? Don't you love it? If you loved it, you, you shut down the border and make it so people have to come in in an orderly way. But Senator D'Amato, we're coming into Christmas and New Year's. I hope we can start the new year and be smarter as a country. It's going to be an election year, so I'm sure whether they're Democrats or Republicans, hopefully everybody is smarter and does the right thing for our country. 
But I want to thank you for coming on this Sunday morning, uh, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Good being with you, John. Bye now. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. What is today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And uh, every Sunday morning, we look up in the sky and uh, we wonder what the heck is up there. Steve Cates, uh, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and... uh, uh, tell us what's new. Well, absolutely, John. You, of course, and the listeners out there, the best of the holiday season. But getting right to it, we talk about something that astronomers have wondered about and maybe people wonder about. And here it is. What's the average color of all these objects that are in the spa- in space, from galaxies, star clusters, and such? So we find out that black, first of all, would be the answer many people might say because of the darkness of space. But black's not really a color, John. It's actually a shade. So moving fast forward, in 2003, astronomers said the predominant color of objects in the universe is a greenish white. But now they revised it with all these advanced telescopes like the James Webb and such. And get a load of this. It's actually a beigeish white color in space. And they've come up with a very cool name. Here it is, John. Cosmic Latte. Hey, that sounds like something that Starbucks might offer as a coffee option. But isn't that incredible? I think, I I think red or blue. Starbucks would, would, would charge extra for cosmic latte. <laughs> I think you're so right. But it's so amazing. Wouldn't that be incredible? Because I think I look at pictures of the universe. We see the Hubble, the James Webb, and I look at more blues and reds. But the color is predominantly a beigeish white as we continue to talk about these incredible mysteries in the sky. But, John, here's something else that we talk about always, your interest and mine, and the planet Mars. Many people may not know this. This is the worst time of the month and the year to communicate with Mars, and here's why. Every 25 months, Mars and this particular planet and the Sun and the Earth go into what's called conjunction. So making it simple, if you're looking out from the Earth, Mars would be too darn close to the Sun, and it interferes with radio communications. That, of course, occurred back on November 17th and 18th, but probably lasts all the way to the end of the month of November. Why is that important? It's important because the space programmers and people at NASA and JPL, they have to send ahead of time all the instructions for these different probes. So when we go to Mars, this is interesting with humans, this right now is going to be a problem. Mars right now, John, is 234 million miles away from the Earth, And it takes 21 minutes just to say hello, like you and I are talking here, and we're communicating in real time. So that's something they have to uh, be concerned about. Interesting, don't you think? Uh, Yes, uh, unless they perfect what uh, Star Trek used to have, uh, advanced communications, uh, what was that called, subspace or whatever? Well, they're going to talk about hyperspace, but you and I talked a week or two ago about the possibility, and it's early in its inception, about talking on light beams from means of communication. It's actually a more efficient way, and that's something that's in the works. How much faster would that be? Well, not much faster, John, because remember, even radio signals are traveling at the, quote, speed of light. But what you're getting is a much more focused beam, which means you could probably, and again, not to guess here, you could probably put more data inside that particular, uh, you know, packet of light. 
And here's the problem. As you talk about radio waves in space, they have a problem. They dissipate out in space in a much wider angle than a focused beam. And people all know what a laser beam looks like, how focused it is. But here's something interesting. We always talk about the mystery of the week, and we know people enjoy this. Here we go. Why is Jupiter's red spot shrinking? Well, first of all, what is this? Jupiter has this amazing storm, John. It's like an anti-cyclone, a couple of times sizer than, you know, bigger than the planet Earth. It's an anti-cyclonic storm that rotates counterclockwise, and it turns every six days. What's happening? Back in 1881, the object was about five times the diameter. Now it's probably just as shrunk down to maybe the size of the Earth, which is small by a storm. But we have to remember, thank goodness for Jupiter, John, because it pulls in all these errant asteroids and space debris that might even come Earthward. But the mystery is nobody understands why that storm is there, why it's lasted so long. And I thought I'd bring it to people's attention, because if you have a telescope and you look at Jupiter, you can actually see this. I watch it all the time. And... uh... What's the closest uh, uh, satellites that we sent up there, or not satellites, or, uh, uh, like a Voyager-type uh, rockets? Well, John, we have the Voyagers that are out there in space. We talk about these also, and it's something interesting I want to alert the listeners to. If they go to the WABCradio.com website for the Dr. Sky Experience, I have an exclusive interview up there, John. I'm very proud of it. But the man who created the golden record on the Voyager spacecraft, these are records like an old LP that contains pictures and images of Earth in case an extraterrestrial society, or who knows who might be out there lurking in the darkness, might be able to check. But to answer your question, these spacecraft, the closest ones, of course, are these geosynchronous that we depend on, you know, with stability. We have much closer satellites in low Earth orbit. And what's the big deal there? the problem of space debris, and the problem of overpopulation in low-Earth orbit. But the beat goes on, John. They're launching more spacecraft, as we know what happened with Starship over this past weekend before. Obviously, they claim a success because they've tested a whole new type of you know, dynamic on that spacecraft. They did something which is called hot staging, which means that they actually have been able to fire the second stage even before the first stage ran out of fuel, but this is also amazing. Starship will probably be the spacecraft that gets us to Mars and beyond. We just have to see them not have them blow up. They got a lot more testing to do. It's amazing. Uh, what was the cause? Why did they blow it up? Well, John, here's the problem. The 33 Raptor engines all ran flawless. This time they're saying it actually worked good. But once we had the separation of that second stage, which is the actual Starship space vehicle that people would actually go on in cargo. The reason they blew it up is because it theoretically was actually going out of its orbit. And that booster rocket, John, was supposed to turn around. This is so amazing. It's like science fiction. It was supposed to turn around as it's up there 93 miles above the Earth and slowly come down with its rocket motors to soft land. So that was out of control. So this time, the abort button actually worked. In the last mission in April, the abort button didn't work right away. And unfortunately, that Starship spacecraft had to be destroyed, too, because it, was no, it had no ability to point where they wanted it. They got a lot more uh, homework to do on this. But they're saying it's a success because even the launch pad last time was destroyed by the rocket motors. They perfected that, and the launch pad actually survived. That's 17 million pounds of thrust, John. 
the most powerful rocket in the world. You got to give them credit for that, and I'm sure we do. It's totally off the charts. Yes. Uh, well, Dr. Sky, thank you so much. Is there any other mysteries? Is there anything else? Well, John, I just want to remind people what they can see in the sky. And the mystery is people want to see things in the sky. We find the moon moving on now from its first quarter phase. It'll look like that egg shaped. We call it gibbous. And it moves on to the beautiful full moon that occurs on the morning of November the 27th. So at 4.17 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the moon goes to what's called the full beaver moon. And, John, there's so much stuff for us to talk about in December. We'll be jam-packed with information here on the Cats Roundtable talking about things people can see. And, again, check us out, wabcradio.com for the Dr. Sky Experience. Interesting interviews, as people tell us, from the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, weather, and how about it? American exceptionalism. Thank you, John, and we wish everybody the best for the holiday season. Thank you, Dr. Sky and uh, Steve Cates. Uh, uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you, John. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. What is today's Dr. Peter Mihalos, a historian, a great doctor, and uh, studies medicine and uh, gives a lot of great recommendations. Uh, Dr. Peter Mihalos, uh, uh, what's our update for this uh, Thanksgiving weekend for all of those uh, who ate too much turkey? Well, what we're going to do is talk about what the literature is and the newest studies. Uh, we're not giving specific recommendations. Always see your doctor first, but we're going to tell people all about some of the new discoveries. And one of the things that we've always suspected is that sugar fuels cancer. And processed sugar especially, it's a very powerful energy source. And basically, sugar nourishes cancer cells. And uh, they did a study where they put radioactively labeled sugar, and they gave it to pancreatic cancer patients. And guess where the sugar went? Straight to, right to straight the pancreas. Straight to the cancer. Wow. Right, straight to the cancer. Cause so, cancer so in other words, really... if you have little cancer cells in the pancreas and you eat a lot of cake, a lot of cane sugar, you're going to die. Well, it accelerates it, and that's why there's also a uh, study done out in Oregon on the West Coast where they had people with solid tumors, and they put them on fasts and prolonged fasts, sometimes for several days, and just water fasts, and they actually have published documentation now that the tumors shrank. Another fascinating study, again, in peer-reviewed literature, they looked at 1,000 people with colon cancer, and those who drank two or more sugary drinks a day had a 67% higher chance of recurrence of the colon cancer and of mortality. So that's a pretty big study. And then in Spain, they looked at 7,000 patients, and they found that for every 5 grams of sugar that you increase in your diet every day, it increases your risk of getting cancer by 8%. And a typical can of soda has 30 to 45 grams of sugar. So, And then you look at Countries like Taiwan that had no processed sugar in the 1940s, but before that, 50s, and all of a sudden, in the late 60s and 70s, when they introduced sugary drinks into Taiwan, guess what happened? Their cancer rate shot up. And this goes back to something we talked about, which was published in Nature, which is the most prestigious journal in science, where German scientists made a major discovery that could slow down the aging process, and they found that as we age, the copying machine that makes all our amino acids the building blocks of our bodies and our proteins 
it goes faster as we age. And then they said, well, what makes it go faster? And guess what it was? Sugar and rising insulin levels. So they found that when you're on lower glycemic index diets, leading less sugar, your aging actually slows down. And that's why things like the Mediterranean diet, that's why fasting for 16 hours and only eating in an eight-hour window during that period, you don't have your rising insulin levels, you don't have as much sugar, and your aging actually slows down. So cancer is tied in with sugar, as is the aging process. But now it's kind of uh, great that we actually are learning and really have evidence and looking at studies with several thousand people and studying this on the molecular level and seeing how bad it is. And then the other thing you and I always talk about is the issue with artificial sweeteners. And that comes into the whole thing of gut microbiome because the body senses something sweet in the tongue and then it sends a signal into your brain and then you put out insulin and then your blood sugar actually comes down but you actually didn't get any sugar in your body and that's why you feel like you got hit by a truck after you have some of these diet sodas and you feel exhausted and tired two hours later you know and that's why a lot of them are caffeinated so you get a little bit of a kick from the caffeine but two three hours later you just don't feel right because you're also not getting any nutritional value out of it and the bacteria in the gut try to take some of these artificial sweeteners in, and they don't really know what to do with it, and it disrupts our gut microbiome, which we now know is 80% of our immune system is in our intestine, which we didn't know that before, and now we do. So now we're starting to piece all these things together, and that's why integrative medicine doctors put together all the biomarkers, look at them, analyze them, and try to find the balance, because we're really a big bag of chemicals, and uh, now we've just uh, confirmed that sugar is an accelerator of cancer. And uh, it's not a wives' tale. It's reality. So we encourage our people uh, and our listeners to try to eat healthy and try to eat low glycemic index foods and processed foods. Why do processed foods last longer? Because they put preservatives. And the preservatives do what? Kill bacteria. So guess what happens when you eat those things? The food might last longer, but those same chemicals, and the processed food that kill bacteria also kill some of the good bacteria in our gut microbiome, and that makes us less healthy and our immune systems are weaker. And that's why when we eat healthier, we get sick less and we feel better, we feel healthier. Understood. Uh, and uh, we talked about artificial sweeteners, which is no damn good for you. Now, how about uh, uh, the, the – well, it's not artificial, fructose. I understand is even worse than sugar. Well, the problem is that any of the sugars that are more readily bioavailable, meaning that they're like rocket fuel, like jet fuel, they get into your system and they cause your insulin levels to rise and they cause your sugar levels to skyrocket. Those are more of a problem. When you have complex carbohydrates, your body has to digest, work on them, break it down eventually to get the energy out. It's like having, uh, you want to get to the walnut, but you got to break the walnut shell. You got to open it up. You got to clean it and finally get to eat it. Whereas the, the, the processed sugars are like just putting the, the, the glucose directly into your bloodstream. So you don't even get a chance. So you get that initial high. And that's why even young children, you see them getting all these sugary candies, treats, and then you see them running around like crazy, and they, they have all this energy because you've just put rocket fuel in them. And then their insulin levels kick in, and then 
they crash and then they feel, you know, tired and they fall asleep. So that's why it's messing with your insulin levels. Having stabilized insulin and sugar levels, even your behavior is better. And people, you know, they don't sit there and fall asleep after they have a meal. If you have too much sugar and you see you don't feel good, you might feel initially great after that chocolate bar, but then an hour or two later when your insulin kicks in and your blood sugar starts to fluctuate, you just don't feel as well. So that's just something uh, that confirms that things like the Mediterranean diet, eating fruits, vegetables, that don't bump up your sugar as last, much. Last question. Help you live longer. I understand the type of sugar that's in an apple or fruit is a little bit different uh, in your system. Can you explain that? Yeah, what happens is different different sugars are either more complex or less complex. A more complex uh, sugar, like for example, when you eat a melon, it takes a longer period of time to bump up your glucose versus uh, a grape. And each uh, fruit has different levels, amounts of sugar, and the complexity. And the more complex the sugar is, the less it bumps up your sugar. When you eat white bread, that's a simple, more simple carbohydrate. When it touches your saliva, it turns right into a sugar. It shoots up. Whereas sourdough bread, for example, is more complex and it takes time to digest and to break it down to extract the sugars out. So that's the difference between various fruits and they each have, and you can Google or go online and look up glycemic index of different fruits. And they have a whole punch list of the highest to the lowest, like grape fruits are on the high side. Blueberries are on the low side. So that's why you have to look at the glycemic index of each individual food. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Dr. Peter Mihalos, enjoy the rest of the holiday weekend, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dick Morris. He was a uh, confidant to uh, President Trump. He was a confidant to President Clinton. He knows uh, the streets of Washington like the back of his hand. Dick Morris, what the heck is going on in, in Washington? What do you see uh, coming uh, in the future? Well, I think that the conventional wisdom, you know, the, 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 needle, the, needle, uh, the needle is moving toward a consensus that Trump is going to win and defeat Biden. I think that several months ago, people concluded that Trump would win the nomination. But now I think they're increasingly concluding that he's ahead in winning the election. And the issue is what the Democrats are going to do about it. It's pretty clear from at this point that their strategy of throwing criminal cases at Trump is not working and it's not likely to stop him. Uh, all the indictments have done is raise his support level. And uh, I don't think more indictments or even convictions are going to change that. So the move, it's now really the Democrats' move. As things stand now, Trump is going to win the nomination handily and go into the election with a significant lead. And the question is, what do the Democrats do in response to that? What do you think? I mean, uh, what is good? You know, we heard all kinds of rumors that they're going to make sure that President Biden gets the nomination then he's going to drop out. That way, the uh, Congress, the Democratic Congress and the Democratic Governors Association and DNC make the decision who the nominee is. 
No, no, that's not true. If he, if he drops out, the Democratic convention is going to have to make that decision. No, after the convention. I doubt he'd do that because the delegates to the convention are newly elected and they probably would would want to be uh, named the nominee. I don't. There really isn't a procedure whereby Congress can do that. It's got to be the convention itself, unless there's a death or something like that. I think there are really three possibilities right now. One, which I think is is more most likely but not definite, is that Biden runs in the primaries, wins the primaries, like basically unopposed, and then right before the convention announces that he's not running again, withdraws and releases his delegates, and then a fight breaks out on the floor as to who the Democrats should nominate, and that'll result in a candidate being chosen. I think the second most likely one is that Biden is defeated in some of the early primaries by Dean Phillips, the Democrat running against him, who's got a very ingenious platform. He's running and saying, look, I like Joe Biden. I think he's been a very good president, but he can't serve a second term. He obviously is incapable of that. So I'm running as his replacement. And that is designed to get a lot of Democrats to vote for him, and I think it'll succeed. Also, Biden is not on the ballot in New Hampshire, the first primary. And I think, therefore, he's going to lose the first primary because he's relying on write-ins. And it's very similar to the situation in 1968 where Lyndon Johnson was relying on write-ins, and he lost the New Hampshire primary, or won by a small margin, to Eugene McCarthy, and then 30 days later was forced out of the race. That's kind of my second option. The third option would be that by, that somebody else gets into the race in the next 30 or 40 days, it would have to be, and qualifies in enough states to be able to run and then defeats Biden in the primaries. I think that's the least likely. I think the convention scenario is the most likely. What else is going on in the political world? Well, the big thing is the war in Israel. The Democrats showing their true colors as pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel. There's a poll that just said, as Jews, who they sympathize with more, Palestinians or Israel, or Israel. And among Democrats, it was 41 to 34 that they sympathize more with the Palestinians. And I think as that comes out, it's becoming more and more evident to New Yorkers and to Jews that the Democratic Party has become not only not pro-Israel, but overtly anti-Semitic. I think the other thing that's going on is that because of that, Biden is trying to back off from his strong support for Israel and saying, oh, I support you completely, but don't go so far. Don't kill as many people as you are. Don't, don't be ruthless to the Palestinians. Pause in your fighting. Let there be negotiations. Let there be a ceasefire. And this has been the strategy of the U.S. government in the Middle East ever since 1947. They usually support Israel at the start of every war. And then they say, oh, we want a ceasefire. We want negotiations. And just when Israel begins to get the upper hand, they call for a ceasefire and the end of the war. But Netanyahu isn't buying it this time. He's saying, I'm going to pursue this until it's over, until Hamas is extinguished and all of the mass leaders are dead. And if that takes months, it's going to take months. And in terms of getting the hostages back, I'll let there be pauses for negotiation and repatriation, but I'm not going to stop the fighting. I'm not going to let up the pressure. I'm not going to let up the blockade. And I think that's probably going to be dominating the next couple of months. I think the more that happens, the more it hurts Biden, 
because people think he's not up to the job. They realize it's a dangerous world. And when they look at this this decrepit octogenarian leading the country, they say to themselves, how can we possibly have a guy like that as our leader? Well, Dick Morris, uh, you're on uh, every Sunday uh, on WABCradio.com. What are you going to talk about today? I mean, it's a long way away, but... I'm going to talk about the shift in American public opinion in favor of Biden. I'm going to talk about the increasing anti-Semitism of uh, the Democratic Party and its political implications. Look forward to listening to you and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you, Kat. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno.